All right, we're going to get going here. Um, if you would like to read scripture with us, it's on page 551, but we're throwing you a curveball today because we're doing Proverbs 30, and as I studied it, the NIV really has a better translation, so we're going to read out of the NIV. The Bible's in front of your ESV. If Roll along, you'll figure. It's only a few words, but just in case you think Jamie's on the complete wrong passage, she's not. Okay. Proverbs 30. 21 through 28. Under three things the earth trembles, under four it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes a king, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat, a contemptible woman who gets married, and a servant who displaces his mister, her mistress. Four things on the earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyrixes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. A lizard can be caught with the hand, yet it is found in king's palaces. All right, good job. Here we go. So thank you. Um, yeah, a couple different words there. I'll unpack that as we go, but uh, I'm excited about this. So in case you wonder what we're doing this summer, we're taking a few weeks, months, whatever, to do kind of a wisdom, worry, worship theme. So we'll just do topical things on wisdom, worry, worship, which covers about anything, which is nice. Anyway, so when I asked you if you can think about the smartest, wisest animal, did any of you think about the ant or the hyrax? <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll get there. Um, but these questions, these animals are, are really odd and weird and sort of common, and yet the author points to them as examples of, of wisdom. And so we're going to take a look at these animals and see what we can learn about preparing for tomorrow and hiding from danger and uh, things like that. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 30. If we want to understand the, like the last part of chapter 30, we should really understand the context in the first part. So Proverbs 30 verse 1, he dives in. Uh, and this is the author of, um, it says, the sayings of Agur, son of Jaka, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary, God, but I can prevail. Now, you notice in the, in the ESV is slightly different, but the basic sense is I'm, I'm super tired, I'm weary, um, but I can prevail. So you're asking yourself, well, why is he weary? Why is he exhausted? And, and it, it's along the theme of that verse in Ecclesiastes that says, for in much wisdom is much vexation, he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. So Agur, by the way, this is the only time this guy shows up in all of the Bible. So we know nothing about him. But he was apparently a wise man. And if you, if you know anybody who's wise, they didn't get to that status or that stature of wisdom without any pain, did they? There's always stories about this is how I lost all that money or that relationship, and so now I've changed life and now I have wisdom, but it comes with a price. And so Agur is exhausted and fatigued, I think, because of what he shares in this psalm. He has made a bunch of mistakes, fell into a bunch of traps, temptation, and now he is looking back to his, his, uh, his disciples or whatever you want to call them, and he's sharing. He's like, this is what I did, and, and this is what you should not do or you should do. So I think that's kind of the sense of this. Um, verse 2, he says... Surely, I'm only a brute. I'm not a man. I do not have human understanding. So he's saying, like, like there are times in my life that I, I act on my instincts like an animal, not even like a man or a person. 
Verse, uh, verse 3, I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. At this point, his, his students in his class are like, why am I paying tuition to hear you if you, anyway. But he's, he's, he's pretty hard on himself. Uh, in verse 4, he asks five very, very complex questions, the point of which is uh, understanding God is very difficult. That's, that's what he's saying. He hasn't mastered it. Um, verses 7, 8, and 9, I love these verses. I'm going to read those to you. Two things I ask of you, Lord, do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood far from me and lies. Neither give me poverty nor riches, but only give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. So he's, throughout his painful life, he's learned the value of truth and contentment. And I would submit that if anybody can figure out truth and contentment, you're light years ahead of, like, the culture, for sure, right? Okay. Uh, and then we go on to verse 18, 19, and 20. And he says, there's three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. Now, these are very positive things, okay? They're too amazing. Um, the word means to be wonderful, extraordinary, marvelous. So these are positive things, okay? First one he lists here is the way of an eagle in the sky. It's amazing. Wonderful. How does that work? The way of a snake on a rock. It's got no legs, but it moves. How does that? It's creepy, but it's, it's neat. It's amazing. The way of a ship on the high sea. Floating in water, even though it's heavy. And then the way of a man with a young woman. And that is, that is the nature of intimate love. And he's like, that is just amazing. All right? And then, this is where translations kind of do us a disservice. The next, it says, this is the way of the adulterous woman. Almost that, that like you're invited to, to look at the previous statement about a man's pure and good romantic love with a woman and identify that as something illicit. It, it's not that. When it shifts in verse 20, it says, it's basically, and correspondingly, there's, there's the way of an adulterous woman. So these are amazing, wonderful things, but then there's, then there's this that's not wonderful. And so he starts to give examples of foolishness, and he says, um, this is how an adulterous woman behaves. She eats, um, commits illicit sex, and then wipes her mouth, says, I've done nothing wrong. And he's like, that's just, how does that work, okay? That's, that's, that shouldn't happen. And that invites him to go on to this next list of things that shouldn't happen in verse 21. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. These are examples of things that just shouldn't be, shouldn't happen wrong, okay? A servant who becomes king. Well, everybody knows that's not going to work, except the servant who became king, right? And so, um, I don't know if you've ever heard this phrase about money, but if, if you're not a millionaire on the inside, you'll never be a millionaire on the outside, and the sense of that is if you don't know how to think about money in the way that millionaires think about money, you're never going to have a million, you know what I mean? And so this servant becomes king. He's not a king on the inside, and he'll never be a good king on the outside because he doesn't understand the wisdom, the discipline, and the thought process that goes with that responsibility. So he's just like, you know, the, the, the earth is going to shake. This is just a bad thing. Uh, the next one, a godless fool who gets plenty to eat. And that defies all the wisdom. I mean, it's supposed to be the hardworking person that gets all the rewards for hard work. And sometimes a, a godless fool gets a lot of food. And you're like, that's not right. It shouldn't be. Verse 23, a contemptible or a hated, obnoxious woman who gets married. And he's like, I've seen this. Love has nothing to do with it, just like Tina said. And anyway, and then... Um, <laughs> 
And so, so, so this woman is hated, obnoxious, yet she gets married, and, and, and you know she's going to take that power of, of social position and leverage it and just, just be more obnoxious, and it's just a social, relational disaster. And finally, uh, a servant who displaces her mistress means to rob or to seize. And so um, it's, it's just unfitting. It doesn't work. So these are all examples of foolishness. Did you notice something about each one of them, they have to do with humans. So when you ask a gore, hey, give me a list of like super foolish things, he's going to talk about people. When you ask him to give you a list of super wise things, he goes to bugs. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's interesting. So um, like I said, he had made mistakes over the years, fallen into traps. He learned from them. He's, he's seen other people make mistakes, and that knowledge and wisdom weighed on him. And it can exhaust us, can't it? When you see other people making bad, especially close people you really care about, if they're just complete foreigners, you're like, well, good luck with that. But if, if, they, if we love them, we're like, oh, it weighs us down, and we pray, and we con we're concerned. It, it burdens us, all right? And this is the sense of, of his sharing here, all right? So, he's, in this chapter 30, he's contrasting the brutish, animal-like indulgence in your desires versus the wisdom of four really common, seemingly under-the-radar animals, and he wants to have us look to them to learn something about wisdom, okay? So, that's where he's going, and um, before we get into these four small, wise animals, if I think of a wise animal, my mind goes to dumb animals, and, and I had this uh, pet bird once, uh, I think it was a parakeet, and I wanted a bird, and, and oh, mom and dad, high school, I got to have a bird, and so they gave me the parent talk about pets. You're, you're going to be the one. You have to feed and take care of this because we, it's your responsibility. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. So we got the bird in the kitchen, the cage and everything, and, and it was neat, and then one morning, or sitting out for breakfast, and the bird's gone. The cage is, it's just gone. The whole cage, everything. I'm like, Mom, what, what happened to the bird? She says, John, it, it died two weeks ago. <laughs> it, it took me two weeks to realize it was gone. So my parents were, they meant it when they said, it's your responsibility. It died, and then they told me, they said, let's just clean it up and put it away and see how long it takes John to realize that. Anyway, so that's why I like cats, because you can open the toilet lid, and you're good. You don't have to. Anyway. All right. So, um, but my mom affectionately called that bird dumb bird. And I don't know what her expectations were for this bird. Like, it's just, it sits in the cage. How can it demonstrate dumbness? But she, she thought it was a dumb bird. Anyway. So, um, that bird is not in this list of small extremely wise animals. And if you look at these animals, you know, like the ant and the, the hyrax and, and the lizards and locusts, they, they are not intimidating, right? I mean, they're not like, ooh, you know, unless you run into a Komodo dragon that can kill you, that's intimidating. But most of the time, these things are just kind of like whatever it is. Um, and so um, they are not intimidating. They're not, so wisdom is not a matter of power or intimidation. And wisdom is not a matter of intellectual capacity. These wouldn't score high on an IQ test for animals. I think they actually have IQ tests for animals. But anyway, <clears throat> uh, so wisdom is application of knowledge. It's doing something with what you got. And the ant does something specific 
taking action for the future. The hyrax does some specific things so it doesn't get picked up by a hawk and killed, and on and on and on. Okay, so wisdom lesson number one is that these animals do what they do, they do it well, and they don't try to do other things that they can't do well. They're content being what they are. Which reminds me of this, this little parable. It's called Animal School. I'm going to read it to you. You probably saw it. I mean, the time passed. Okay. Um, Once upon a time, the animals decided they must do something decisive to meet the increasing complexity of their society. They held a meeting. Finally, they decided to organize a school, and to meet the demands of their changing society, the curriculum consisted of running, swimming, and flying. These are the basic behaviors of animals, and so all animals should be able to do these. So the duck proved to be excellent at swimming, better, in fact, than his teacher. He also did well in flying, but very poorly in running. And since he was so poor in running, he was made to stay after school, practice it. He even had to drop swimming in order to get more time to practice running. But he kept at it. It was his poorest subject, subject and his webbed feet were badly damaged. He finally dropped to only average in swimming. But average was acceptable in the school, so nobody worried about that except the duck. Rabbit started out at top of his class in running, but he had a nervous breakdown because of so much makeup time in swimming. He hated swimming. The squirrel was excellent at climbing until he developed a psychological block in flying class. Then the teacher insisted that he start from the ground to fly instead of starting from the tops of trees to fly. He kept attempting to fly until he became muscle-bound and received a C in climbing and a D in running. The eagle was the worst problem. In climbing class, he beat everybody to the top of the tree, but the, he insisted on using his own methods to get there. The teacher said he had to start from the ground. Gophers, of course, stayed out of school, fought the tax levy for education because digging was not included in the curriculum. They apprenticed their children to the badger and later joined the groundhogs, eventually started a private school offering alternative education. Anyway, so, I mean, you know, the ants do what the ants do, and they just do that thing. And, and, and I think there's a lot of freedom when you become comfortable in your own skin, and you're like, this is just who I am. And it doesn't mean I'm not growing or changing or developing, but it's just like, I'm, I'm, this, this, is, this is what I got. Um, you know, my wife, this is what you got. This together, we're what we got. And this is, uh, this is okay. Uh, you know, we continue to grow and learn, but it's just really comforting to accept my limitations, accept my gifting, and, 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 and move on through life with that, all right? So, wisdom is not a matter of physical power, intimidation, uh, or intellectual capacity, all right? So, we are going to ask if you're smarter than a bug. All right, going to move on to this. Are you smarter than, starting off with this, an ant? Verse 24, so now it leads up to this. Four things on earth are small, yet they're extremely wise. Not just wise, extremely wise. Ants are creatures of little strength. Now, ants can lift 70 times their body weight. That'd be like me lifting 7,500 pounds. And so, you know, from their perspective in the culture, ants aren't intimidating. They're not powerful like a lion or bull or whatever. And so don't get hung up in the science like, oh, the Bible's wrong because ants are strong. Okay, but you get it. They, They don't appear to be strong. They don't do things that you would associate with strength from the visual. Okay, that's what he's talking about. Ants can be found on every continent except Antarctica which given its name is ironic. (laughs) Anyway, so we have um, ants. They're they're masters at storing food for the winter. Um, 
They work ahead. There's a verse in Proverbs 20 that says, sluggards do not plow in season, so at harvest time they have nothing. Have you noticed that? If you don't work, you got no money. If you don't harvest, you got no food. The ants figure that out. The sluggard, huh? Hasn't. Okay. Here's another uh, Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores provisions in the summer and gathers food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? Will you... When will you get up from your sleep, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man? All of a sudden, you realize, I have no food, I have nothing because I've just been laying around. So the ants have an amazing strategy for survival. They plan ahead. Because the ants are thinking, hey, last year winter came. I wonder if that's going to happen again. And so they store up food for the winter. They're busy little ants. That's all they do, store up food. It's amazing. So ants prepare in the winter. I did, I did some reading on ants. I didn't know a bunch about ants, but they have, you know, the network of their tunnels and everything. But it turns out the tunnels are, are designed in an amazing, wise way. They have, they have a, it's a, a, a five-inch round by half an inch tall place for storage, for storing food, like a granary, they called it. There's also a place that's a tunnel far away that's called a, um, a midden. It's for their excrement and dead ants. They actually, I, don't, I can't even imagine, like, how much does an ant poop? <laughs> Did I just say that in church? But anyway, <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, they pick it up and they haul it down the hall and get it far away because they keep it clean. I think that's amazing, right? And when an ant dies, they're so busy, they don't even know the ant's dead for three days. They just think he's stopped and they crawl over him until three days. Then it releases this smell and then they're like, he's dead. And they pick it up and they carry the ant down to the midden, to the, to the trash dump. So they keep the place clean, which is really amazing. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the author, Agur, didn't know all that, but he did know they haul food all the time. And winter, you don't see them for months, and then they're still alive afterward. Aha, they have food for the winter. So that's what he's doing. Um, there's a whole bunch of neat stuff about ants, but how is the ant wise? What are we supposed to do? Use a toilet buy food ahead of time, and carry your dead outside. It's practical. No, there's, there's, there's better practical things about this stuff. Uh, the ant is not too proud or not too lazy to work together for preparing for tomorrow. And so um, there are changes coming for all of us individually, for our families, for our health, for our finances, for our society. I mean, that's just part of the thing. In fact, if I can go on a bunny trail here, I was thinking a while ago, I'll come back here to, to this, but it just struck me odd last week. I was thinking about God and his unchanging nature. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I thought, how weird that he makes a world where change is just everywhere. <clears throat> and I'm like, what is that? How, how God is unchanging, and yet the world we live in is, is ever-changing. And I was just pondering, that, and I kind of thought that the ever-changing insecurities that we face, you know, guide us to look to him for, the, for that which is stable. I don't know. I'm just thinking that's an interesting dynamic. Back to the task here. So there are things coming up in all of our lives that we should prepare for. Um, and and this, is, this is just kind of a standard psychological thing called Erickson's hierarchy of 
of needs, I think. And, and you know, um, you've got basically, if you're an infant, the infant is down here. They're learning trust and mistrust, autonomy and shame and doubt. And, you know, um, then you go to preschool. You have some guilt and initiative. And then grade schoolers, industry and inferiority. Teenagers, identity, role issues, young adults, intimacy, isolation, middle-aged adults, generativity and stagnation. I have no idea what that means. I just got it off the internet. But anyway, and then um, integrity and despair. The, the basic idea here is there are certain stages of development. I remember when, when I came home once and our, our, our son Jesse was, I don't know, whatever, he was super young. And Donna says, John, I think Jesse has object permanence. And I'm like, do we call the doctor? What is that? And it's a stage of development when, when you have a thing and you look at the kid and go, oh, and you put it behind your back. The kid knows the thing is still there, even though he can't see it. It's object permanence. And anyway, it's a stage of development and there's all kinds of stages of development, but there's a stage for you around the corner and there's a stage for me around the corner. Even if you're old, there's another stage around the corner. Are you like the ant preparing for what's next? in your stage of development, okay? Interesting, so I read this book, um, oh, it's called Strength to Strength, and um, it's called Strength to Strength, Finding Success, Happiness, and Deep Purpose in the Second Half of Life, and it's all about the, um, about this concept. So this guy, this author, he's on a plane, and he's, you know, flying and, 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 and hearing a conversation behind like you do, um, and this guy is just going, he, he can't see him, but he's going on and on about, I'm just worthless, and what's the point of life? I haven't accomplished anything. Why am I here? I'm not needed. I should, he said, I'd be better off if I was dead. He was, and, and so then the plane lands, and he kind of casually gets up, gets to the overhead, looks over, and he's like, he's like a nationally known figure that everybody would know. He's like, what? I mean, you're like a hero to millions, and, you, and you're like, one, you think you don't matter and you should just die? So that launched him into thinking, what is the deal here with people who have like amazing first half of life productivity? How, how do they get into the latter half gracefully accepting that change? How do they prepare for that stage of life? Like the ant prepares for winter. He hadn't prepared for that second stage. So the whole book is about how to go from the first half of life to the second half of life. I'm old, so that's why I'm reading it, right? Anyway, um, anyway, it's a good book. It's just kind of interesting. So um, the ant knows things are changing. Uh, are, are you willing to change? Because it's coming. So um, key question that the ant asks us, what are you? What should you be doing today that would prepare you for tomorrow? That's, that's the ant. What are you doing today that is preparing you for tomorrow? Classic example that is physical fitness with races. I just love that that thing. You put it on the calendar. You got you got motivation. You, you know what I mean. And, and um, I think I shared this before. Moab was in a mountain bike race, and uh, it's the one. There's like hundred guys in my class, and we start on this big, wide dirt road, and the wind's against us, and the guy in front of me does the, the nose below, and so I, <laughs> yeah, I, re I remember that day. Anyway, that race, we're climbing up this big, long three-mile hill, and I get to the top of it, and some guy is just leaning over his bars, just hurling, because he was not in shape, and I remember thinking, pay now, pay later. I mean, if you don't work out, you're not, and so just, you, you work out, you're rewarded with, with 
doing the future thing well, and that applies to so many areas of life, all right? So what are you doing today that could prepare you for tomorrow? That's the ant. Next, we go to the hyrax. Look at that thing. What is that thing? It is a 10-pound gerbil, 28 inches long. It's just like, seriously, like a, a, a gerbil on steroids. So um, some Bibles, oh, here, I'll read it to you. Um, Four things on earth are small. They're extremely wise. Verse 26, hyraxes are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags, rocks, stronghold, fortress. So ESV says rock badgers, which to us throws us into the marmot realm and is a whole different deal. Okay, these things are super unique. Um, they have three toes in the back and four in the front, and, and they have like suction little pads so they can climb up super steep rocks. Just a weird deal. Um, they don't dig in the dirt. They look for cracks in the rocks and hide. In fact, the name Hyrax means hiders. They're, they're, they hide. That's their thing. Ants prepare, these hide. Okay? So if they're in trouble, they just hide. That's, that's great. Um, it's interesting, I think, that, that Agur is pointing to ants and like they, they're not very powerful. Hyrax, they're, they're not powerful. And given how he ends his chapter, um, he mentions power and pride. I'm, I'm kind of wondering if Agur himself had stepped into the realm of pride and I'm, I'm important and I'm powerful and made a mistake like that or if he saw that somewhere else. But um, uh, it's, we'll, 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 I'll unpack that later. All right. So the hyrax. Um, yeah, they're popular with the carnivores. And so they have to develop a way to, to hide beneath the rocks that they can't be stolen and eaten. Okay, I read about hyraxes. They also have impressive toilet manners. I don't know what the deal is, but they, they go far away and they do the thing far away. And that's, that's interesting. They use uh, watch out sentries. Like, like someone, when they're eating, one will just look, look, look. And then if they see anything, they start chirping and, and then they all scatter. And so they, they team up with that. Uh, they're very cautious and, and kind, of, um, kind of nervous and paranoid. But here's another verse from Psalm 104 that mentions these. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, and the crags are refuge for the hyrax. So they live in the crags, the rocky places. If you've ever been to Colorado on a 14er a mountain, you'll see marmots and, um, scurrying about. And, and that's, kind of, that's, that's a good picture because they just scurry about the rocks, and that's where they live. So... A refuge is a place of safety from danger, or as applied to humans, a safety from falsehood. And so Psalms talks about God being our, our fortress and our refuge in a similar way. So here's a verse, Psalm 18. Who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God? The God who equipped me with strength made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He lifts me up on a high rock. And so you get the sense in scripture, rocks are, are a fortress, rocks are secure, rocks are, are valuable. And so um, there's another picture of a high racks. Interesting little things, aren't they? I, look at that. They have fangs. Look at that. They really have fangs. It's a weird animal, like the, 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 the feet and the fangs. Just a strange, strange deal. They, they live in North Africa and uh, the uh, Middle East area. I don't think they're in Colorado. All right. All right. So um, 
living in cliffs, fortress, that, that mentality. This is Mesa Verde. We went there, uh, hiked the Grand Canyon a couple years ago. And Mesa Verde, you know, ancient Anastasi Indians that lived in these cliffs for protection. And that's not, I looked for a picture. I, I took pictures. I couldn't even find a picture I took. But there are some places where there's these crazy steps up the steep thing. And in the middle of a sheer thing, a little indentation. And they, they would live in there. I'm like, do you roll at night when you sleep? I guess not, right? But um, so that's Mesa Verde, and uh, here's another shot. You can see it's just like on a, on a cliff. They had all kinds of stuff. It's a cool place to visit, but, but living in the rocks throughout all of human history has been kind of an important thing, and this is Petra, um, south of Israel. You know, there's all kinds of stuff, and some of you have probably been there, um, but that's, it, it's always been desirable to live in, in rocks. And so again, uh, Psalm 18, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my redeemer my fortress, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So <clears throat> that is really an important metaphor. When, when you feel threatened and your whole world is, is fluid and moving, changing, where do we go when everything's changing that we don't want to change? We go to God who's unchangeable. He's stationary. He's a rock. That's where we go. And that, that is amazing lesson about where the hyrax takes refuge is in rocks, okay? All right. Um, so how is the hyrax wise, and what are we supposed to learn from him? Well, they're not powerful. They hide from danger. They're, they're not sophisticated, all right? They don't set traps or ruses or whatever. It's just, they just hide. They, have, they look out for predators for each other, and they know they have predators, and they hide. So think about that. How, how does that apply to us spiritually? Do, do, do we have a predator? Do we have someone that, ro that, that roams here and, here and there? Uh, let me just read it. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded and watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. We have an adversary. Do we watch? Do we hide? Because there's that proverb. I love the proverb. 27.12. The prudent see danger and hides himself. This is, this is the wisdom of the hyrax. The prudent see danger. They're looking out for it and they hide. The, the simple go on and suffer for it. Okay? So... The hyrax is humble enough to recognize his vulnerability and just runs to safety in the rock when they're threatened. All right, so that's the hyrax. Go to the locust. Are you smarter than a locust? That's interesting. So the locust, um, they're unique because it says they, they don't have a leader, yet they do everything together. That's weird. And when they do everything together, it's in, impressive and like, wow. And that can be very destructive, right? Crops. They just go and, and um, decimate crops. So uh, four things are small on the earth, yet they're extremely wise. Verse 27, the locusts have no king, yet all of them march in rank. Wow, without a leader, they cooperate. Isn't that weird? Do, do we have such an obvious, compelling cause that unites us to the extent that we don't need a leader? <laughs> Not so much. Sin necessitates leadership, right? Because we're all over the place. Did you know that animals don't sin? 
You can get mad at them, but it's not a moral offense to a holy God. One of my cats would eat rabbits and drag them in the house. I'm like, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's not sin, okay? Anyway, um, they cooperate and they look out for the interests of others. What do you call somebody who the commands of the head and the mind are disconnected from the actions? Unhealthy, for sure. A lot of problems with that. But, but, but think about the body of Christ. Is Christ the head and we're the body? Is there a, is there a cooperation like the locust? Like, do we, do we follow what the head wants to do? Or are we like, oh, I'm on my own path over here. I'm doing, I'm a locust. I'm a rogue locust. I'm doing my own thing. It's like, no, we, we, we do the same thing. So it reminds me of Philippians, you know, um, have the same mind, have the same love, being the full accord of one mind, do nothing from selfish or ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Um, so that, that just sounds like the locust, but they, they, they cooperate. There's no friction, there's no fighting, there's no, no um, picketing or revolting. So how is the locust wise? What are we supposed to learn from him? Well, he's not proud. He cooperates. He's not independent. He cooperates. Great team player. All right. Granted, they, they don't have the sin thing to work with, but still they, they are. Let me ask you this. When was the last time you were offended by someone with a different idea, a different value, a different approach to life, and you overlooked it because of your commitment to unity. That's interesting, isn't it? When was the last time you were offended by a different value, a different way of life, whatever it is, and you overlooked it because of your commitment to scriptural, biblical unity? That's, that's hard, but that's what the locust would do. All right, so the locust asks us, is pride, independence, preventing unity in your sphere of influence? Are you cooperating with other, others um, like the body of Christ? Lastly, we go to the lizard. Are you smarter than a lizard? Lizards are cool because they're all, here's my thing with lizards, and I'm going to extrapolate to dinosaurs. Look at the colors on that thing. If you found a skeleton of that lizard, you would never draw it with those colors. And, and more than half the drawings of dinosaurs, what color are they? They're gray. I bet you they were like crazy cool colors. I'm just saying. Can't prove it. Anyway, so lizards, okay? Some of them, uh, they, you know, they, they look bigger. They try to scare people or predators away. I look bigger than, than I am, or they have like strong bites. They, they run super fast. My favorite thing, I remember as a kid, it was like a sci-fi moment. Like I learned lizards that the tails break away and they escape. I'm like, what? That is so cool. And then they grow back. It's like the old school football tearaway jerseys. Some of you are too young, but anyway, back in the day, they could have jerseys. You grab the guy's jersey and it just rips in your hand and he keeps running, touchdown. And then they, you know, had to owl all that because it worked, but anyway. Um, so, and then there's a Komodo dragon down here. Some of them are super tiny in your hand. This can grow 10 feet tall. And look at that thing, he just had lunch, right? But um, the Komodo dragon um, is, it, it can kill you. Uh, I think it's not so much the crushing jaws, it's the venom that can kill you. But um, some people have lizards as pets, but they, um, it's interesting. So what do we learn from the lizard? Why is the lizard here in, in scripture? And what it says about the lizard is, is weird. 
Four things on earth are small, yet extremely wise. Verse 28, the lizard you can take in your hands, except for the Komodo dragon, yet it's in king's palaces. That is just a strange thing. So the other strange thing about this is if you're reading the King James Version, you're like, it says spider. The spider you can take in your hand, yet it is in king's palaces. In Hebrew, there is a different word for lizard and a different word for spider, and this word means both. So you can honestly interpret this as spider, and the point is the same. Yeah, you, you, we've all hopefully, we, not hopefully, we unfortunately see spiders in houses, but not so much lizards here. If you go to Hawaii, there's lizards everywhere, and that's just the way it is. But um, so spiders or lizards, they, 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 they bypass all the armed guards, all the security forces, and they just show up. How did you, how did you get here? And they, they, they're um, unassuming and, and all that. So um, lizards are interesting, all right? So... What do we learn from lizards? It's catchable. It bypasses. It's able to enter. It's not, it's not loud and obnoxious. It's not like a lion coming and roaring, make a big... It just kind of does its thing quietly, and then there it is. Um, one author I read said that this phrase, it's common, it's catchable in king's palaces. It's, it's a metaphor for it is achieving... Um, high society life. It's just sort of unexpected, like the quiet person who is able to achieve. Um, It has the skill and ability to enter and stay in places of royalty. Do we have the ability to enter and stay into places of significance? Or do we shut the doors because we're too loud and, and obnoxious, right? So, summary. Agur had witnessed a whole lot of things. Had he witnessed some people bragging, arrogantly proud and independent? Had he made that mistake? And now on reflection, he's sharing this? I think so, because look at how he ends in verse 29. There are three things that are stately in their stride, four that moves with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts. Now we're talking about powerful, right? A strutting rooster, a he-goat, a king against revolt. Verse 32 is the key. If you play the fool and exalt yourself, or if you plan evil, clap your hand over your mouth. Shut up, is what he's saying, okay? For as churning cream produces butter and twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. So he has been through, he's exhausted, he's made these mistakes, he's seen other people making these mistakes. Knowing God is super hard. Uh, you know, I know truth and contentment are super important. And so um, the, the error of assuming power and grandiose, big splash, important things, uh, that's not where life is. Because in these four common animals like the ants, they prepare, the hyrax, they hide, and, and the, the locust, they cooperate, and the lizard um, gets places. I struggled with the application on that one. Maybe you can do better. Think about it. But anyway, um, so here's our key questions. What should you be doing today to anticipate tomorrow's needs? Whether it's financial, relational, or your own personal development. You know, if, if you're middle age, you, your second half of life, it's going to feel different, look different. You better prepare for that. Um, how are you hiding from danger? What dangers do you allow into your home? Through the internet, through TV. What dangers do you allow into your mind? What kind of ideologies? What about vocab? There's a whole bunch of dangers that sometimes we just, we just like, a, like, a, like a funnel, we just pull them in. 
We should be like the Hyrax and hide and help other people look out for the predator that wants to destroy us. Is pride, independence, preventing unity in your sphere of influence? Are you cooperating with unity with the others in the body of Christ? So again, the locust, no king, but they do everything together. They agree on their common purpose. And then finally, oops, how are you leveraging whatever access you have to gain entrance into the sphere of others and, and um, using that? So uh, interesting passage here. Um, are you smarter than a bug? Probably. You know what I mean? And so um, yet it's interesting, going back to the beginning, he's talking about examples of foolishness, and he points to humans, and he's talking about examples of wisdom, and he, he points to some bugs and a big gerbil. It's kind of a, kind of a funny thing. So anyway, um, I trust that as we pursue God from a platform of security, we have a new nature in Christ that um, will move towards him, um, employing wisdom that is readily available, you can see, everywhere around you. So, Lord, thank you for uh, these verses. They're a bit odd, a bit strange. Uh, it, it's not super obvious on the surface, but once we start to study these animals like they did in their culture, um, they have advantages. They have wisdom. They're acting on some things that preserve and prolong their life. And so um, I pray that you would keep us from dangers. You'd protect us from the adversary who very, very much is planning our demise that you'd give us insight how we can prepare for what's tomorrow, whether that's uh, health, finances, career, or just our own personality, what's, what's going on. You've made us inhabit a changing world, and yet you are the rock. You are unchanging. And um, for that, we're grateful that, that you love us. You've claimed us as your own, and uh, in you, we find our security, and you, we find our identity. And so may that continue to compel us to um, pursue you out of uh, gratitude. Amen.